You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, Rifters. This is Rifts and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules and enhance your gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riftwake. And I'm Remy, a player on Riftwake and a Dungeon Master myself. Today, we're actually going to do things a little differently. For this episode 42, we're going to give you the answers. So we're going to do a Q&A for today. So over the last couple of weeks, we've put out on the Discord to get some questions in. So we're going to go through those today. And in the future, please let us know. Is this something that y'all will enjoy? Or is this something that you'd rather us stick to talking what we know? So let's just dive right in. So first question, Nathan, how did Rifts and Rules get started? Okay, so Rifts and Rules... Uh, was originally something that I wanted to basically use to keep people's eyes on Riftwake. So like something to make sure that uh, they would stick to at least one of the shows so that Riftwake would still be on their mind. And how that eventually turned out was I went uh, out looking for someone who had the skill set. So what I did was I, I knew that I personally do not have the knowledge to just run a show on rules. So I went onto a Discord and um, found Remy, and he was like one one of the first few people answered me. There, there were a couple others, but um, he, he was said, actually hey, a third I person. know stuff. Yeah, he he was the third person that um, I actually had a chat to, but he was the only one who was like, "Yes, I'm ready to do it now." And I was like, "Yes, all right." We'll Anyone who can tomorrow. do it now, what? Yeah. Okay, yes, <laughs> that was that, and um, <laughs> it, it kind of eventually spiraled into. Hey, uh, let's do it um, twice a week and eventually reach to the point where now we have uh, 42 episodes. Yay! So thank you, listeners, for letting us get to this point. We've been doing this for four months now, and we've got, what, 4,000 downloads or something now? Like, holy shit, I did not anticipate this really going well. I just wanted to rant into the ether about D&D, and apparently some of you like my rants. So thank you for that. I appreciate having an audience. (laughs) Anyway, next up. Why do you start with Good Evening Rifters when you release it in the morning? 
honestly, it's yeah, because wow, Remy it's suggested like 4 it. It's like 4.30 a.m. Then, then again, it is 8.30 p.m. for me right now. Yeah, so, so. it's evening for yeah. you, but for me, it's 4.30 in the morning right now. Yeah, here's the thing. I released it at 9 p.m. my time, so... Y- y- oh, you do? Okay. Kind of yeah. right. Yeah, all right. Yeah, it's like 6 a.m. or something like that, Pacific time. Huh. All right. Yeah, I, that's true. Yes. So because Nathan is the DM of the game, so he has the creative control. And for him, it is evening. That is why. Also, evening rhymes better with the rest. Sounds better with the rest. I mean, in oh. my opinion. Good morning, Rifters. Good no evening, Rifters. That. I can get that nice no. good morning Vietnam vibe. No, no, no. Wait, wait. Good afternoon. No, no, evening. Afternoon doesn't work. That's true. But good morning would work. Good morning. (laughs) Good evening. You have a point. Good morning. Yeah. Yeah. Anyhow, let's move on. Yes. All right. So we have also been asked, have you talked about Adventure League rules? Uh, We have not, but that is an excellent question. So I will go ahead and add that to the list to make into a future episode. And on that note, we are always happy to take topic suggestions. Yes, our list is already far longer than it needs to be, and it is absolutely growing faster than it's shrinking, but topic suggestions are nevertheless always appreciated because we're only two people. There are always things that we just don't think to talk about. So anytime that someone has something they want to know about, go ahead, uh, hit us up on Discord if you're on that with us. Or just send us an email, riffsandrules at gmail.com. All right. Also, have you talked about Unearthed Arcana? So very little. We have mentioned it here and there. So this one I'll actually answer a little bit more now because it's not quite a full episode for how we would use it. So Unearthed Arcana is articles released by Wizards of the Coast who own and make Dungeons & Dragons. So it is considered to be playtest content. It is not official material. However, there are a lot of very good, interesting things released through it. There are literal dozens of additional subclasses that are only available from there. Also, fun fact, a lot of the Unearthed Arcana material is available on D&D Beyond if you just click Allow Playtest Content on your character creator. So a lot of Dungeon Masters do use Unearthed Arcana material. However, in Riftwake, Unearthed Arcana material is not official content, and so therefore not used by Nathan in the world. On, on the other hand, I, Remy, do occasionally use Unearthed Arcana in my own games. There are a lot of rules suggestions. Uh, actually, back in our experience episode of r and I did mention there is an Unearthed Arcana article on the three pillars of experience that I am very fond of in giving alternative ways to do experience for D&D. On the other hand, there is the fact, though, that because it's playtest content, it is not official, but useful. So that is my take on Unartikana. Not official, but neat. All right. Oh, boy. This one can go on a bit for the next. Homebrew do's and don'ts. Nathan? Okay, so let's just begin with the fact that I haven't done a ton of homebrew in my time. 
I, if and I've not actually done any homebrew for the show. I don't believe. Yeah. Um, n- n- <clears throat> Arcane shards. You've done a fuck yeah, ton of homebrew. That's, that, that's um, homebrew. That's well, that's mostly flavor stuff, isn't it? No, it's homebrew. You've created all separate rules on item creation. Huh, oh yeah, fair point. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Not to mention on defenses for certain places. Yeah, that's a big deal, man. Yeah, I I, I suppose. Um, so generally speaking, most of the homebrew I've done it's stylistic based. I, I feel so like it creates a certain um aspect. So to answer your question on the do's and don'ts. Um, I would say that generally speaking, when first creating something that's homebrew, you if it's your first time, you want to keep it simple. Stick to what you generally know. Try and look at what the wizards have done with their um the thing you're referencing as a uh possible thing to so so that the balancing works right um to begin with, and that's generally my my viewpoint on homebrew. So, my take on homebrew. I love it, and I overdo it. By a lot. In D&D Beyond, there is a tab that keeps track of your homebrew creations. I have 21 pages listed of homebrew. So the list of things is 21 pages long. And that is everything from monsters to magic items to feats to everything else. I love tweaking things and making higher magic and doing more or different. But in terms of the how, or the do's and don'ts, as the question more directly asked, tweaking things is the easiest way to get things, to get started in doing your own homebrew. And like Nathan said, doing it along the lines of something else would definitely be the best way to start. So for example, take something like the flame blade or flame sword uh whatever it's called the one there's a sword rare item that does an additional 2d6 fire damage that's neat downside being it's swords only well what if i want to hit someone with an axe and light them on fire well okay that's an easy enough thing okay fine i make an axe version still a flame blade so sure why not or what if i don't want to risk setting things on fire so let's say I invent a mace of concussion that does, you know, 2d6 psychic damage if I bash him in the head. And doing that kind of thing is still online, for the most part, with what the item is meant to. Arguably, the psychic might be slightly more powerful, just due to the fact that psychic is much more rarely resisted than fire, especially considering that is the only damage type that will hurt a bear totem barbarian who is raging, uh, at max damage, that is. But considering that the flame sword would normally also grant a permanent light effect for the caster because it is a decent radius of light as well as the fire, the fact that the mace doesn't grant that could be argued to be an equivalent. So doing that kind of tweak would make total sense. Or if you just wanted it to just be cold damage instead of fire. Tweaking a damage type, for the most part, is easy. You can just do that and move on. Or you can then make it where a magic item is more useful. In that, let's say you've got a sentinel shield is a magic item that grants advantage on initiative and perception, which is really good. But what if you want the extra AC of a shield plus one? 
well, okay, I can just invent a sentinel shield plus one and then just increase the tier of rarity. So move it from an uncommon to a rare magic item. So you can do that kind of thing to just mix and match the abilities that magic items grant relatively easily and just make a note of either increasing the rarity or just increasing the price of the item within its rarity category. Very few people actually have a full price list of magic items, but if you do get your hands on one, then you could just potentially add the prices with some kind of modifier to figure out a reasonable price for a combined style of item. So then the next step after that, so I guess tier three at this point, would be making up something entirely new. There are a lot of magic items in the game, but there is an infinite number of effects that can exist. So if you want to just have a specific thing, then you can create it and just use the comparison to other creatures, or sorry, other magic items to kind of figure out what where should that be in rarity. So if you want to have, let's say, a dagger that when you throw it, you know, comes back to your hand, you know, or you could, you know, go the Thor route if you want to have a mace that does something like that, or a Warhammer rather. So, okay, you throw it and it comes back to your hand. Then the thing you just think, okay, well, what would that be worth? And you'd compare that to, okay, it's not a plus one for this version. It's just the effect. And it comes back to your hand. Does it fly back? Does it teleport back? Arguably, that doesn't really matter. It's just what style preference at that point. But if you have that, then, okay, you can throw your weapon using your strength. Is that a game-breaking effect? Not really. Is it useful? Yeah. Is it hard to do magically? Probably not. So I would keep something like that just as an uncommon magic item. And if you wanted to then combine that with make a plus one version, then it would scale up towards rare. But even so, I would still keep that in the you know two to 400 gold price range uncommon magic item. And anything that you think about that is the big do and don't both, is to just try to figure out how game-breaking would such a thing be. So on the don't side of things, be very careful creating anything, whether it's a new spell, a new magic item, a you know, new boss monster, whatever the case may be, to think about, okay, this is a thing in the world. Is this something that I would be okay with my players having access to? So this is something that I arguably made a mistake on a number of years ago in my own game. There was a third-party item for 4th edition called the Azagar Book of Rituals that had some really, really cool things. And a bad guy had a ritual that could destroy someone's soul and crystallize the magic that made up their body and soul into something that in some places could be used as currency. So basically, you kill someone utterly and turn them into money. My players got their hands on this. So this is literally... It is called Defile Soul, and that kind of tells you all you need to know about how bad a thing this was. Guess what my players did? 
use it a lot? Oh, yes. They would find the strongest creatures that they could get their hands on and utterly destroy their soul for the sake of wealth. However, like I said, arguably, that would be a mistake. However, I know that my players are assholes, so that's not completely a surprise to me. So that actually allowed a lot of really fun roleplay of when they got caught, them having to deal with the consequences of such, of the world finding out they obliterated people to the point of not having an afterlife. And in a world where resurrection exists, the thought of not having an afterlife, not potentially being resurrected, is that much more horrifying than even death is to us on Earth. So I said arguably a mistake because I don't feel it to be, even though some may say that it was. But the point that I'm getting at is your players, if they find something powerful, even if it's really evil, might use it if it's useful. So anything that you create, would you be okay with your players potentially finding and using such a thing? All right, next up, a breakdown on Genasi. All right, so I will go over this relatively quick because, well, to be blunt, I don't really want to start the slippery slope of a full-on uh, races series the way we have been going through classes because individual races well i would struggle to talk on the ones i'm less familiar with for that amount of time but uh genasi are something i know a bit about and are pretty neat so i will give the elevator pitch version they are a pretty neat race that are the children of genies and mortals so they are elementally aligned based on the type of genie. That's actually a pretty cool thing in D&D that most people don't necessarily know about, is that genies are tied to an elemental plane, whether it is air, fire, uh, water, or earth. So let me see if I can remember this right. Uh, I think the jinn are air, then the afrit are fire, I don't remember what the water and earth ones are called. But anyway, so if you see in the monster manual, uh, Efreet or Djinn, or technically just Jin, but I'm saying the D just so you know how to find it. But anyway, those are genies. And there are four types of genies at least. So Genasi, it, I, I honestly don't know the right way to pronounce the word, unfortunately. It might be Genasi, Genasi, uh, Genasi. Genasi sounds right. Yeah, but it is Genie's descendant, so it might be Genasi. Genasi. No, that doesn't sound cool. Yeah, I think I'll go with Genasi. I'll go with Genasi. Yeah, Genasi. You're right. Genasi. Yes. But because of the fact that they are the descendants, or direct children rather, of some form of Genie and Immortal, then they're weird for most worlds that they might potentially live in. Whether they're weird special or weird frightening depends on where you are. So that is world dependent and honestly even just city dependent. So some places may have a lot of strange races out and about. Some people may be on the more racist side and not like those who are so very different. 
and Janasi are very much odd, even at a glance. So they have a skin color that is, you know, relevant to their elemental affinity. So, you know, fire being red, etc. So they do have a number of traits that are based specifically on which element they are aligned with. So all of them have a con boost of two points and then a single point boost based on their subrace. So starting with air, uh, I'm not going to read all the things because we're already starting to get a little bit long. But yeah, so it's air, earth, fire, and water. Unfortunately, there is no heart genesis that I have been able to find. But yeah, so air, earth, fire, water, and each of them has the ability score increase as well as two abilities at least that are somewhat relevant to their elemental alignment. So they might have a cantrip like shape water or produce flame. Uh, so all of them get something along those lines that gives you some kind of fun magic, even if you're not a magic user class, just your race gives you that little bit of connection to your you know, elemental origin. All right, next up. Is a DM allowed to tell a player they found a lich's phylactery even though the character only knows it as a ring? Jacob, you motherfucker. This is one of my players. <laughs> <laughs> so what's right. your stance? So that's a rather specific question for a rather specific reason. So... We've talked here and there about metagaming, the difference between what a player knows and what their character knows. So the character succeeded in killing a lich, found a ring heavily defended in another room in the place, found this ring, and asks, Remy, is this the phylactery? It's a ring. Remy, tell, is this the phylactery? It's a ring. So the player was fairly confident that that was the phylactery. The character uh, had intelligence as his dump stat and was not sure about that fact. So the character did not have the arcana skill to identify whether it was a phylactery and made difficult by the fact that it did actually have arcanist's magic aura cast on it to hide that it was magical at all. That is a horrifically dangerous spell in the right circumstances, by the way. That's another fun one that is underappreciated. Anyway, so he says to me, Remy, give me an answer or I'm going to put this ring on. I reply, it's a ring. <laughs> he puts the ring on, fails his save, and gets possessed. Oh. And to this day, it's just one of our favorite back and forth conversation moments of just it makes that perfect example of metagaming because if he just asked i examine the ring roll an arcana check that would be one thing but because he simply asked remy is the ring a phylactery that his character was not taking an action. My, the player, Jacob, was asking the DM, Remy, a question. The player, or sorry, the character, rather, <laughs> did not know. Uh, and that separation is just mwah. 
that was just a fantastic moment and just yeah it's a good warning slash fun story to be careful of the separation of knowledge of what does the character know what does the player know and who is asking the question all right last question remy you dirty dirty (laughs) hey accurate but hey (laughs) you're a monster remy you're a fucking monster (laughs) all right our next question actually comes to us from twitter so matthew writes Listening to episode 11 of Rifts and Rules, I don't think prestidigitation can prompt a saving throw, and because of this, can't be used against an unwilling target. No poopy pants. I disagree. So part of the good slash bad side of prestidigitation is the fact that, as you said, it doesn't prompt a saving throw. That's what allows you to use it against an unwilling target. It does not say that you must force a saving throw if you try to use it on someone else. You can simply clean or soil an object. It does not have the restriction saying object cannot be carried or worn by another character. Most spells do have a limit like that, like Mage Hand. But part of Prestidigitation's utility is the fact that it does not have such a restriction, so can indeed be used against an object, even if it is currently being worn or carried. Last question. In your opinion, what is the best class and race to be most useful in the party? I like this question. This is... A well-phrased one. So not what's your favorite, but what is the best class and race to be most useful in the party? Interesting. What do you think? Um, honestly, I, I, I think it may or may not be um, perhaps something like a bard or maybe a cleric. Because the bard can help out using jack-of-all-trades and mm-hmm. the, his expertise. Um, in our combat, and then Cleric would be just simply having the best tailing. And is there a race that you think would be most useful for one or the other? Hmm. I'm just going to go with Human Variant because it's great for everything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. So I'm going to actually split my answer, and there's some races that are more useful statistically than others. I almost said better, and that would bite me in the ass. That's not a phrase that I want having recorded. Anyway. That's a... Yes. Sorry, distracted. Anyway, the variant human, as you said, is amazing. Because even though you get less of an ability score boost, the feat at level one is incredible. So that can let you start with a character build by getting a feat like sharpshooter, a great weapon master, or whether you want to get an armor proficiency feat to have you know, a more defended magic user. That flexibility of a feat at level one is so much fun and potentially useful. Actually, a quick tangent also. There are some DMs, and this is a thing I've experimented with in the past, that will give everyone a feat at level one so that the variant human doesn't have such a major advantage. But also the fact that, like I was just saying, to have that extra character creation you know, flexibility at level one 
by having everyone get a feat at level 1 is a homebrew option that I would actually recommend in general because that extra choice is a good thing. But anyway, back to this question. So Variant Human is definitely up there. However, I think I have to give it to Half Elf. So Half Elves get two points in Charisma and one point in two other stats. And they get to pick two skills and have Dark Vision. And I want to say a language as well, and I might even be forgetting one more thing for all I know right now. I'm tired. Anyway, so yeah, ability points, ability scores, and Dark Vision, and two skills. So if you have a half-elf bard, then you have the really, really good party useful character. So then they have that much more skills to apply their expertise, and the two-point charisma boost to really max out their bardic abilities, and their two extra points could be placed in like dexterity and constitution to help round out all of their stats. So having all of that together, yeah, I think half-elf bard is probably the most useful total build because you have all of the skills which makes you useful out of combat. You've got all of the healing magic available to be a good support character. You have all of the buff abilities, spell and just abilities that a bard has access to. So having that bardic inspiration available, having you know the healing magic available, yeah, half-elf bard, I would say, is the most useful for a party. They're not going to do the most damage, they're just not, but in terms of sheer utility of abilities, half-elf bard. So, that takes care of our questions. So, like I said at the start, let us know what you think about us doing this every couple of months or so. Thanks for listening to this episode of Riffs and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. Tier stars are over a dollar, and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind-the-scenes content, early access to episodes, access to the Patreon Discord, where you'll be able to chat with the cast, and even a shout-out on the show. Find us on social media, on Twitter at Riffwake Podcast, on Facebook as Riffwake, and on Reddit on the subreddit r slash Podcast. And now, send us an email, riffsandrules at gmail.com. That's riffsandrules at gmail.com. Seriously, we've never gotten a single email. Send us one, please! Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.